Yes, we are welcoming a new show to iHeart and the DraftKings YouTube channel. It's called Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toladano. John Wall doesn't need no introduction. It's an insider's look at the NBA and culture surrounding the league. Every week, the five-time All-Star and the number one pick of the 2010 NBA Draft, John Wall, will give his unique perspective on the hottest topics in the league. So check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, the DraftKings YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to podcasts. There's a new way to bet on things outside of sports with Kalshi. Maybe you thought uh, on the future of TikTok. Will Congress ban it? Or won't they? Will Taylor Swift's album win album of the year? Will Biden's approval rating go up? Will it go down? Or inflation? You can trade futures on all of that and make money if you're correct. You're smart. You know things. Bet on it. $20 bonus if you go to Kalshi.com slash stereo. Spelled K-A-L-S-H-I and deposit $50. Kalshi.com slash stereo. Get in the game. There is no guarantee of performance. An investor could lose their entire investment. Investment fees. iHeartMedia does not recommend any investments. See further disclosures at Kalshi.com. There's a lot happening these days, but I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. All right, the Iron Rapport podcast is sponsored by Casper Mattresses. We love our Casper Mattresses at the Iron Rapport podcast. Casper Mattress is an award-winning mattress company that makes the most ridiculously relaxing, supportive mattresses sold directly to the consumers. Trust me, I sleep on one every night. The Casper Mattress is available in six sizes and has a 10-year full warranty 10 fucking years it's made and stitched right here in the united states free two to five day shipping in the united states and canada and in new york city you could get it the day of you have a hundred nights to sleep on this mattress for free if you do not like it they will refund they will come pick up your mattress for free a hundred nights Go to Casper.com and save $50 using the promo code Rappaport, R-A-P-A-P-O-R-T. Casper mattresses, we love them. All right, this is not a test. I'm about to talk to fucking Marty Scorsese about Raging Bull. This is not a test. Hello? Marty, it's Michael Rappaport. Oh, hi, Michael. How are you doing? I'm doing good. How are you doing? Oh, you know, uh, good looking, busy. <laughs> Where are you? New York or LA? I'm in I'm in Los Angeles right now. Are you oh, in okay. New York? Yeah, so what are you doing? So I'm doing something to celebrate because it's 
you know, I have a bunch of them. Like, it's hard to say one, but Raging Bull, it's the 35th anniversary. I don't even know if you're aware of it. It was released 35 years ago. And wow. the movie the movie means so much to me and to so many people. So I was doing, you know, I was doing like a sort of a, you know, like a round okay. table on it. And I, and I had a, we had a little screening uh, of the film. And, you know, I just wanted to ask you some questions. Right. I got to talk to some yeah, great people. First question I wanted to ask you is, you know, I mean, I know it came out 35 years ago. Um, and I know you guys were working on it a few years before that. You know, in looking back on that film, what did you take away you know, as a filmmaker from from the process of, of, of making Raging Bull and, and that time, you know, I mean, and, and, and the idea of even trying to make a film like that in this day and age, what do you remember and what did you take away from it when you think of that film? Well, I, I, it's, um, the film was made for me under special circumstances, you know, and um, um, ultimately I think we played it out completely in terms of, I know Bob as an actor and me as a filmmaker, I mean, we just played everything out. We just um, put everything we knew into it and sort of the end of one thing and maybe the beginning of another. I wasn't even sure what, what I was going to do for the rest of my life, quite honestly, after that. So it was a, it was a, it was a, uh, a kind of a, uh, it, it was basically, as they, they use the term now, game changer, but a game changer mainly for me. I don't know about Bob, but certainly for me. That's a that's interesting. That's a that's a uh, interesting. Like, what what was going on that you you were sort of at that point to to, to sort of like, you know, just sort of give everything of uh, of yourself of it because, you know, honestly, you know, when I look at that film and I've watched it so many times and you know sometimes yeah. I watch it just as a fan and sometimes I watch it as an actor and sometimes I'm like I just look at the cinematography, yeah. you yeah. know, like you, there's so many layers in it and there's so much texture to the sound to the to the camera movements. You know what was going on with you? Where you were kind? Where you just said I didn't even know if I was what you were going to do with the rest of your life? Like, like what? What do you mean by that? Well, I don't know if I was going to make films anymore. Right. And, um, I didn't know if I would have the passion again to make a picture. Um, uh, what I mean is that uh, I, part of it's complex because part of me wanted to be a film director who could make pretty much you know any story or uh, different genres. Um, the other part of me was more into a personal style of filmmaking that was more European or Scandinavian or uh, uh, Asian, uh, Japanese, you know, that sort of thing. There's big influences. And then, of course, um, there was Cassavetes, which was the uh, uh, the main Cassavetes, and, and of course, over, over towering over all that was Ilya Kazan. Mm -hmm. So, you know, for me, uh, where was I? Where was I to go? Ultimately, um, uh, with all these influences. Um, but prior to that, I mean, after doing uh, right around the time of doing New York, New York, and Last Waltz was a period of um, experimenting um, and. Um, trying things, failing, succeeding in certain places where you didn't think you would, and ultimately um, trying to find a way to uh, feel strongly again about making pictures. Right. Um, uh, after after New York, New York, I didn't feel, um, I didn't feel that uh, I would be able to go on a set uh, and make a movie or go on location. Um, I was really concerned about could I ever care about, um, a, not the subject matter, but the process itself mm. and what you have to go through mm -hmm. um, to put myself on the line, everything on the line that includes, you know, your health and, uh, you know, it sounds crazy, but your health, your, your money, your family, everything, uh, for, um, 
a project. And the, the, the one that came to mind for me was Gangs of New York. Mm-hmm. I was preparing for that, but I, uh, uh, my personal life became very difficult and, and I almost, uh, uh, had bad accidents and, uh, basically, um, accidents meaning a kind of, I was just depleted mm-hmm. and it a lot. And then finally, um, um, Bob pushed me to make Raging Bull. Uh, he had been asking me for years, and we've been trying in different scripts and that sort of thing, but or a different script, I should say. And um, uh, finally, I said I kind of understood that everything I was looking for, or everything, all well, the struggle I was having, was what the movie's about. Right. And right. was about learning to to, to learning to um, learn again. Put it that way, because mm. every time you go, you you try to do something. It's it's like it's as if you never did it before. Mm-hmm. It's it's it was a humbling experience because you're okay now. I can start all over, and then after this, I can start over again if I can. If not, I'll do something else. I don't know. Mm-hmm. You know, and so then uh, things changed, um, and I put everything I could into the picture, um, and in every way. Uh, but basically, it was about finding finding that soul again. I got you. Oh, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, I had a bit of it in the last waltz, but the last waltz was primarily, you know, this incredible, these incredible performers. Right. A New York, New York, I did some interesting things, but I I felt uh, that I I could have been more rigorous in, uh, in the approach, uh, in, in, in certain, certain aspects. And, um, I was disappointed myself with the results. I'm not saying the actors weren't good or believe me, they were the cameraman, uh, Laszlo Kovacs, the, the production design, everything, the music. Uh, it's just something I wanted to try that I don't know if I ever reached. And I was disappointed uh, by my in myself for that, you see. I got, I got you. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And then I acted out. You know? Right. W- would you consider doing something as small and as intimate in in this climate of, of making movies and where you are? Would you ever consider saying, you know, like doing something as like, you oh, know, sure. you would, yeah. huh? Always, yeah, no. In fact, uh, I thought Departed was, but yes. then it became bigger. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> it got bigger as we were shooting it. <laughs> but actually, it's not that big if you look at the shots and the scenes. Um, and um, also, how do you go? What's Wall Street? No. Oh, this new one, Silence. Yes. Um, that has a, a, it's it's in the 17th century, so in, in the countryside in Nagasaki, outside of Nagasaki. So you're forced to... Uh, think in different scale on a different scale mm-hmm. you see and so that's been that that is a big struggle and uh, uh something i was looking forward to for a long time um in a good and, and uh as i should say uh careful way you know <laughs> you know it's 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 a big test right because of that i was trying that um but there's no doubt if i i've tried that's why i've tried um a couple of pilots right shoot quickly i mean uh, boardwalk empire was pretty big and it's right like, Vinyl, though, I think um, I think is more controlled in terms of uh, uh, how should I say uh, it's crazier and wilder, but that reflects the state of mind of the guys putting the music together and the musicians and that sort of thing. And New York in 1973, which was when I made Mean Streets, so it's crazier and wilder. But on the other hand, um, it gave me I don't know the energy was such so strong and the actors were so good and the writing and the music and I just like it was a joy you know it was a joy and that certainly made me realize okay uh, I could do something in 28 days or 30 days and you know it doesn't have to you know I'm not it doesn't have to but I'm, I'm aiming towards that kind of thing I do get seduced by the 
or Salutes is not the right word, but movies like The Aviator, mm-hmm. Spectacle. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, movies, they were making movies in Hollywood and the color and the airplanes and the, you know, I did get to Gangs, but Gangs of New York was not. Gangs of New York was something that is a, uh, that was something that was planned all the way back to 74, 75, 76. And um, it eventually became the movie it became. But um, that was meant to be big and, and sprawling, forward, right. right. sprawling, crazy, like, but like the city itself, you know. Um, but it took years to get it done. Uh, anyway. And, and um, my, my final my final question, and I can't tell you how much I appreciate you doing this. And, cause uh, I, that's okay. I, yeah. I, I don't want to keep you long. Because honestly, Marty, I think that every year – should be a, there should be, every year should be a, a, a sort of celebration of Raging Bull. I, 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 I'm trying to get a statue built. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But oh God! No, I'm just you kidding. Should, you, should, you guys pull it together for me. Well, yeah, they don't even show. They don't show it on TCM. Ugh. Um, oh, maybe once every few years for Oscar time, but they usually put it at one o'clock in the morning because they claim it's. I guess because they claim it's too violent. But they show Mean Streets. But they show Mean Streets at three thirty in the morning, which it should be. I think. I mean, in, in, in this day and age, what people can look at on their phone is way worse than anything you've ever made. The no, stuff, I know, I know. You I know, know what I mean? I know, I know. You know, know. but but uh, so, so so just to, just to tell you this. So obviously, I've watched the film, you know, a bunch of times. Um, and when I watched it with a live audience just the other day. I thought it was interesting because when I first saw it, I was young, so I didn't, you know, I didn't know what was going on. But I'm curious, you know, because when I watch it with the live audience, up until uh, the the Jake LaMotta character gets violent with his wife, you know, where that obviously there's yeah. nothing's no longer funny. There's so many, there's so much humor in the film. Yes, I know, I know. I was just talking to uh, some people now about the same kind of thing. This is the kind of humor, you know. Um, it's New York. Italian Jewish uh, humor, mm-hmm. uh, which is how I grew up, you know. And, and, and for me, the humor comes from up until it gets, you know, the, you know, the physical Ugly. stuff. Yeah. yeah, then it's then it's no longer funny. But his frustration, it, it, you know, like that that can be funny when somebody's so frustrated yeah. and someone can't yeah. see anything. The absurdity of it, the yeah, absurdity. And you get so angry, yeah. And the humor is in the anger. <laughs> it's you can laugh at yourself if you get to that point where you can laugh at yourself. It's good. But that doesn't mean the frustration doesn't go away. Right. Were you Were you guys aware of that? Like, I mean, it's it's hard. I know it's so long ago, and obviously you've done so many. Were you aware of that the, the humor in Raging Bull while you were making it? Like, or is well, it something I think that- so. I think we I think we started to to uh, we just reacted the way we, we used to react. I mean, the way I normally react, or the way I grew up in the streets, um, mm. uh, in my household that I was that I was in. Um, uh, it, he just reacted to what was genuinely funny about being alive, right. about trying to make a life. Mm-hmm. And it's always about loss of money, money, this, power, you know, all kinds of stuff. Things that uh, upper classes, I guess, don't really, I don't know. But in, in, our, in, our, in, our, in the world I grew up in, the humor was very uh, basic and uh, um, came from real situations, very real situations. And the irony of things. The irony about how other people lived and how who said what about whom and how could they speak that way and uh, who owes who money and uh, it goes on like that and who you know that, this sort of thing and so it all came from that and also growing up around the time of the the great golden age of television with um, your show of shows and all the great uh, 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 the Jewish uh, comedy uh, and you see them acting it out you see them up there you see Caesar and Jean Coker you see you know written by um, uh, these extraordinary writers. Uh, 
uh, other shows, uh, uh, all this sort of humor was really um, very alive because those shows were live, you see, from 1950 to 56. I mean, it's a very special time. Um, the humor of um, Smith and Dale coming out of, uh, uh, which became like the Sunshine Boys. You know, it's like, it's just being a human being and expressing how you feel. And the humor and the irony comes out of that. You know, so we knew it at the time, but we didn't know it'd be a funny movie. We didn't think it was funny. We just thought funny irony, like yeah, perfect. You know, right? Uh, when he says, you know, the, the, the terrible thing, he's in the hallway with his brother, and he says, "You should kill her." About his wife, he goes, "Hey, don't talk. To that's still my wife." Right. There's a certain there's a certain line you do not cross. What line didn't he cross? <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. The, 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 there's so many of those lines, like the, all that sort of absurd. He's like, you know, hit her with a baseball. I mean, it's like you're that's laughing. Ridiculous. It's totally crazy. Um, yeah. But that's how I, I kind of actually, you know, not that my parents would, you know, it's, it, it's hard to say because people don't understand unless, you know, don't forget I'm 73. We're talking about something half a century ago. Yes. You know, I mean, uh, I, uh, you know, I had something I, I know that I grew up with. So. Marty, I want I, I to tell you, I really appreciate it. I wish you a great holiday. Enjoy the new year. You too. And I, I, I appreciate you taking the time. It really means a lot to me. And, and, and Okay, Mike. So let me know what you do, okay? Let me know how things go. Absolutely. Absolutely, right. I will. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. All right. Okay. I don't even know what to say. Um, the fact that I was able to get Martin Scorsese to be on the I Am Rappaport podcast is a is a is a monumental mountaintop moment. Um I need to uh catch my breath. That was really that was that was dope. That was dope and uh you know the CIM Rapport podcast. Alright, so um the reality of Raging Bull is that it's about a real boxer and the real boxer is obviously Jake LaMotta. And uh, pretty much all the boxing stuff was very uh, spot on in the film. Uh, you know, what happened in the ring. Um, the most famous sort of line and memory, I think, from Raging Bulls when Ray Leonard, Sugar, uh, Sugar Ray Robinson, sorry, uh, was fighting Jake LaMotta and he sort of absorbs all the punishment. And then he says... You never got me down, Ray. You never got me down after he takes a ginormous beating in Raging Bull. So I'm calling my friend, probably the number one boxing analyst in the world, Max Kellerman, to break down the real Jake LaMotta versus the performance by De Niro, Jake LaMotta, and uh, also, uh, you know, add his thoughts on the film because he's a humongous fan as well. All right, so we're going to get my man uh, right now. Hello. Max, it's Michael Rappaport. Hey, Michael, what's going on? How you doing, my man? Good, good. All right, so I told you, Max, I'm doing an all-Raging Bull episode of the Iron Rappaport podcast. The first thing I wanted to ask you about was the real Jake LaMotta as a fighter versus how he was depicted in the film. Was it depicted properly? And and, and But just first speak on who is Jake LaMotta in, in, in boxing lore and boxing history, what did he mean to boxing? What kind of boxer and, and what, what, is he, what is he best known for? So break down Jake LaMotta. 
the, the number one attribute he had was his chin. He could take punishment like nobody else. I mean, there are a couple of fighters on that list, Marvin Hagler, that I've seen in my lifetime, Daniel Zaragoza, and there were fighters before um, uh, LaMotta, but if, if push comes to shove, you say, who's the guy who could take the best punch ever? I would say Jake LaMotta. Wow. He was never legitimately off his feet. And so, uh, so you know, he's known for that. I think also, as was depicted in the movie, the, the fact that he was this highly avoided middleweight contender trying to, trying to do it on his own. But the fact was the mob had a stranglehold on boxing at the time, and, and so he had to throw a fight to get a title shot. How, how, how real is that whole thing about fights being fixed, you know, the mobs, you know, hold on, on boxing and, and that whole element? Obviously, I mean, it wasn't just LaMotta and, and just the raging bull of it all, but, like, speak on that. I mean, that was a real thing. Like, that was a real problem for fighters, and you had to take dives in order to get this and, you know, sort of compromise yourself uh, in, in order to really get a shot at the title. Is that, was that real stuff? Yeah, there was, it, there, was a, there was something called the IBC. You know, all these sanctioning bodies today, the IBC was uh, the uh, International Boxing Club, I think was the, was the acronym. And it was basically a syndicate, more or less, you, or at least it had all these different venues throughout the country, all the biggest venues in the biggest fight towns in New York, all the big venues in Chicago, big venues like that. And if you wanted a, a big fight at a big venue against a top fighter, you had to do business with them. And that went on for years. Um, in fact, Customato is usually credited as the guy who, who ultimately uh, broke the broke the stranglehold of the IBC, uh, you know, on the biggest titles and biggest fighters in boxing. And and the the, the Lamada Ray Robinson, the, the Sugar Ray Robinson, Jake Lamada fights, um, were they as vicious and as brutal as they were depicted in the film? And do you know of Lamada, the real Lamada? Actually, ever saying to him like one of the most famous uh, lines in 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 uh, in the movie, and and it's you know it's been sort of you know used outside the movie uh, is you never got me down, Ray. Like so, talk to me about the real fights and 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 how they they were depicted, and just in terms of boxing history because they fought three times. Like talk about them. They, as, they fought six times. Six times. They fought, they fought six times. The only one I've seen is called the Saint Valentine's Day Massacre. That's the last one, the one you're referring to. You never knocked me down, Ray when LaMotta at that point had the middleweight championship that he won from Marcel Serdan, the great French fighter, and uh, Robinson moved up from welterweight to fight LaMotta for it. That was their last fight. They fought five times before that already. I didn't know that. Yeah, LaMotta went to LaMotta. Gave Robin, Sugar Ray Robinson won, was 40-0 and when he fought Jake LaMotta, um, and LaMotta gave him his first loss in New York. It was, it was uh, Sugar Ray's New York debut, uh, and later he became very associated with New York City and had businesses in Harlem and fought a lot in New York. But Robinson was from Detroit, as Joe Lewis was, and uh, he comes to New York. He can't get anyone to fight him, and neither can LaMotta, so they fought each other. LaMotta outweighed him by about 15 pounds. Ray was a welterweight. LaMotta was a middleweight. And LaMotta knocks him down it, 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 you know, early enough, I think in the first round, and Robinson comes back to beat him, and they fight again a couple months later, and this time LaMotta wins, knocks him down again, and they fight again like three or four weeks later, and this time Robinson wins. I don't remember if Robinson got dropped in that one, uh, and like that. And LaMotta eventually said, I fought Sugar Ray Robinson. I, I fought Sugar Ray so much, uh, I got diabetes, something like that was his line. But, but he was, um, you know, Robinson didn't lose another fight until he had 130 wins. L- Lamada's the only guy to beat him while he was in his prime. Um, 
you know, when you hear like Floyd Mayweather, he's 49 and oh, this one has this many wins with no losses. Let me know when you got 130 wins, how many losses you got. You know, Lamada lost to that guy a lot, the greatest fighter who ever lived, Robinson. Um, but but in spite of the fact that that Lamada was able to not to drop Sugar Ray a lot, he was not a big puncher. He wasn't a knockout artist in terms of the way they depicted him in the movie. Um, you, they, it, he was a brawler. He was an inside fighter. He was very slick on his way inside, hard to hit because he had short arms and he was short and small hands, as he said in the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but 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 was not a knockout fighter. Didn't usually knock his guy out. Usually worked him over and won on points. As a as a, a brutal knockout artist, that's not what he was. And uh, that's really good. And and is is that uh, is that famous line? Uh, you never got me down. I mean, he never got him down. But we don't know if that was said or actually not said, or if that was just something. You know, I don't. I could. I couldn't tell you offhand if he actually said it. Uh, you know, a, a lot of the fights in that era um, uh, that Lamada fought don't exist anymore. Okay. Um, because during the war, during the Second World War. The the uh, celluloid that they you know made film for was thought to be very necessary for the war effort, ah. and so they they preserved Joe Lewis's fights because he was heavyweight champ. And I have, I've seen some home movies of Robinson and different fighters from that era, but during the Second World War, during those years, you know, mid forties, you don't really have a lot of existing footage. So the so the Lamada that you see is from you know after that, and the Robinson Lamada fight that I've seen many times is this, or, you know and, and different rounds from it is the uh St. Valentine's Day massacre for the middleweight title. All right, that's good. That's good. And then and then and what about what do you know about like Lamada's, you know, upbringing? He's from the the Bronx. He's the Bronx Bull, uh the Raging Bull. So like what wh- what what can you break down about like, you know, how, you know, he came up and, and you know what his what his what his background was? He before? came up he came up running the streets in the Bronx. Uh, he, he and Rocky Gra- Rocky Graziano was a very colorful fighter uh, from that same time. He was a, a bigger puncher than Lamada, but not as great a fighter. And he had a crazy three-fight series with Tony Zale, um, considered you know maybe the best action series ever in the history of boxing. Uh, and somebody up there likes me, Paul Newman. That's the Rocky Graziano story. Right. Another great boxing movie. Um, and, and Graziano came up running the streets with Lamada, used to say, because Graziano and, you know, Lamada did stand-up acts, basically, at nightclubs later on in life. And Grazi, one of Graziano's famous lines was, we never stole anything uh, unless it began with an A, a car, a truck, a TV, <laughs> you know, like this. And, and, and it's funny that these two guys would come up together and eventually both be the middleweight champion of the world at different times. That is crazy. All right, this is exactly, uh, you know, what, what I, I mean, you, you're around fighters uh, more than, you know, anybody who's not an actual fighter. You know, what, from all the years and all the research and, you're, you know, obviously before you became Max Kellerman, you know, and, and an analyst, you were, you know, you were a fan what is it about fighters in general? What is it about their lifestyle, what it takes, the commitment that they continue? I mean, I'm shocked that Creed was as good and as successful uh, as it turned out, you know, because I'm the most cynical Rocky fan out there. But what is it about boxers that you think make for great movies? Well, I mean, first of all, it's the same thing that makes boxing more compelling than other sports. I do this thought experiment, you know, through the years. I've done it a hundred times, I'm sure. You know, if you come where I can prove to anyone boxing is their favorite sport in, you know, 
30 seconds. Mm-hmm. You come to a street corner, and two guys are playing a pickup game of basketball in one corner. On another corner, it's a stick, you know, a, a stick ball game. On the third corner, they're, you know, whatever, uh, throwing the football around. And on the fourth corner, there's a fist fight. Where's the crowd? Ah. Uh. You know, the crowd's around the fist fight. So then the question is, because, well, you know, it's just intrinsically more compelling. Why is it more compelling? Because everything else is metaphor, and boxing is literal. Mm. So, so, you know, if uh, Agassi can't return Sampras's serve, it's because Sampras has metaphorically imposed his will on Agassi, the ball being the surrogate for his will. Mm-hmm. If, if, if Mike Tyson can't get up from a Lennox Lewis right hand, it's literal. It's not a metaphor. His brain is telling his legs, get up, his legs can't do it. And that's because Lennox has literally separated him from his own will, right? So the literal imposition of one will on another is simply more compelling than a metaphor for the same thing. And in, in, the, in the movies, it works in reverse. If you're using stories as a metaphor for people's struggle, right? I mean, that's, it's conflict and resolution, and that's what drama is. It, it, you know, what's, what is a better metaphor for it than boxing, where they, where they are literally fighting? Mm. They're, they're fighting for something. And then, of course, you know, when you get into the character study of, of it all, these guys are interesting guys. You got to be a little crazy to get in there and fight, and and you know a little crazy is usually pretty fun to watch. All right, Max Kellerman, this is exactly what what, what I thought uh, uh, you you would bring to this. Um, I appreciate you doing it. Um, I appreciate your insight. You're the best in the business, and uh, um, you know I just appreciate you doing uh, doing this for me and for for raging both 35th anniversary. Can you believe that movie is 35 years uh, old? So, and, and, it, and, it, and it it like it ages so well. It's still it's still uh, you know amazing to watch. You can watch Mean Streets and you can see him working some of that stuff out. And later on, Goodfellas was you know maybe uh, more I don't know if you want to say advanced, but it was you know a more mature work later in his life. But then it feels like it was a little derivative of, yep. of Raging Bull. Raging Bull was, was to me, Scorsese's uh, absolute best. You know, and, and, and I think, didn't it win Best Picture of the 80s at the time, it, at the end, by the end of the decade? At the end of the decade, it won, best, it won the best film of the 80s. But when it, when, it, you know, when it came out, I mean, you know, De Niro, obviously, you, you couldn't deny his performance. But Ordinary People beat... Raging Bull for best film, 1980, if you could believe that. I mean, listen, uh, Dances with Wolves beat Goodfellas. Yep. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? You win, you win. If you lose, you still win. You still win. You can't lose. Yo, Max, thanks for doing this. Michael, my pleasure. Anytime, brother. This is Juliet Lewis. Juliet? Yes, I'm here. All right. So, Raging Bull... Raging Bull. You're you're sort of a raging bullette. Raging Bull. <laughs> well, I don't know how to take that, but there's there's so many parts to Raging Bull that are iconic. It feels like there were seven movies in one movie. Mm-hmm. And then, and then you know, like from what you were just talking about, the violence it, that Scorsese showed with Pesci. That kind of violence that's so absurd, but so real, and made people laugh, but made you so uncomfortable, kind of so weird. It was such a combination of things. Yeah, I, I, I know what you mean. And, and, and I don't know when the last time you saw the, the flick was, Jules, 
but you know, like I would call you a tough broad, but like that movie, the way it resonates with men, I I have to assume it resonates differently with women. I mean, but just just talk to me about like as an actor, like the performances and the method acting, and you know, even yeah. Kathy Moriarty. I mean, she was so beautiful. I mean, yeah. stunning in that movie. Like uh, like uh, like uh, like probably one of the most beautiful movie characters. I, I, I could think of, you know, when you think of the way she looked in that film, the way she was dressed, her hair, the blonde hair, she was, you know. Yeah, she- and the, well, I, yeah, I can't speak on how it resonates male and female, but as an, as an actor person, you know, who, who is drawn to characters and truth and complexity, that's what it's about. But yeah, but regular folks dig that regular folks. Who, who am I? What am I from the 50s? All of a sudden? <laughs> regular folks um no but there's just those scenes i think it's a guy that's unstoppable he's like unpunishable and and for me the scene of course that stands out is you didn't knock me down right you didn't knock me down like right he's a bloody fucking mess he's like a zombie but i don't know it speaks to the spirit of of keep getting up right and, and it, there's a brutality in it, but there's so much heart. And he's such a bizarre character. I don't know that I would be friends with the guy. So I don't know why it was so, it, it resonated. What do you think? Why did it resonate with so, people when it's such a niche kind of world? What are, aren't they from the Bronx or Brooklyn? Yeah, no, the, they're from the Bronx. And, and, and I, I, I think that, that you never got me down, Ray. And that, that thing, yeah. I, think, I think that's something anyone can relate to. In any world, like I think it's sort of like, you know, a tenacity and it's like in life, you know, it's like you, you, you know, we all get the shit kicked out of us and, you know, he never went down. But, you know, like there's there's sort of like, a you know, it's a metaphor for life. And although it's so it's so extreme with what he does in the movie, but I think like that line and that sort of, you know, what what when he's saying that after taking such a beating, because, you know, you get you get your ass kicked. Um, in life, you get your ass kicked in relationships. You, you know, I kick my own ass personally every time I lay down yeah. to, to, to yeah. sleep. And, and, and I think, <laughs> but, but, you know, so I think that's, it's, it's crazy that there's, there is that sort of thing because when you, when you watch the movie, it's, it's not an easy film to watch. It's, uh-uh. it's not like you could sit down and be like, Hey, let's watch Raging Bull. And we're going <laughs> to, it, it's, it's not, it's not that kind of movie, you know, um, Yet there's just there, it's just it's a complex hard film for me. I you know the harder the film, I think the better. Like if I you know go over my top five movies and shit, there none That's of them me. are. I try to find a comedy in them, but there's there's none of them. I no. I like grit. Yeah, you know what mine are? They're like Midnight Express, Francis, uh, <laughs> One Flew Over the Cuckoo's. I mean they're brutal, they're brutal, and they're films that stay with you for days for right. weeks. But uh, Raging Bull, let's talk about, like, the urban legends. I think, I mean, we've heard other acting urban legends, I guess, but nothing more than the De Niro transformation. I mean, I heard they shut down production for five months. So yeah. he gained the weight, or is that how? What happened? No, that's true. How did someone do that? I, I mean, you know, like I, I, he, the fact that they did that. Um, like just on a budget and technically like, okay, we're going to, you're going to get in shape. You're going to, you're going to get in ridiculous shape and you're going to be a boxer. And then, 
you know, the business today, you wouldn't be able to do that. And then we're going to shut down for five or six months and you're going to eat like a slob. And then we're going to yeah. come back and continue shooting. Um, I mean, I just don't think that could be done now. But I mean, you that's know, like crazy. as far as a benchmark in acting, that's that's yeah. the benchmark in acting. And one of the things that's so De Niro and so cool is that he didn't, he never talks about it. Like if you see interviews. No, I know. You'd want him to write a book, just write a book about the development of that character, but he doesn't talk about it. Which I think is cool because it's like he was just like, I I think it just shows that he was just doing it because it was a necessary thing. Like it's like a job requirement in order to do this job, to play this part the best way. This is what we need to do. I think a lot of times now when act like what they did, the weight gain, the weight loss, the the smoking cigarettes, it all becomes like, you know, um, sort of like the selling points of this is why you should go see the movie. And this is why you should get nominated where he did it at the highest, highest level. And he was, as far as I know, he was the first person to do it in such an extreme way. Obviously, other actors have done, you know, uh, before him have done, you know, they've went out of their way. And he's not the only one who, who who's went out of their way. But this, you could see it. He, he physically yeah, he transformed was, himself. I don't think anybody had done it to that degree. And man, that does speak to his, De Niro's character, his integrity, that he doesn't tell you about his process at all like he doesn't showboat it he just lives it and delivers it because like even when we did Kate Fear he did crazy shit behind the scenes like I only know it because for Asazi told me um one time we were in my trailer and I was like oh where'd you just come from he goes I just came from Bob's trailer he had a gospel singer in there playing piano and they were speaking in tongues it's like I don't know that shit's going on in his trailer to prep to prep for the psycho killer he's playing who speaks in tongues. But he, I just love his wild shit on the that he's doing behind the scenes. And then um, when you were working with him, and 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 did he bring any of? the stuff he was doing on his own to the set, like this whole thing of method acting and, you know, like Daniel Day Lewis, who's fucking ridiculously good, but like, you know, like apparently he stays in character. Like when you were working with him on Cape fear, did he stay in like when, when, when in between action and cut, is he really still uh, a Max Katie or is he Bob De Niro? That's that was the other thing I learned because even as a young actor, I heard all those urban legends and you heard hear the term method. But what he did with me, no, he just had um, he didn't talk a lot. Like when we did the auditorium scene, but he'd always say hello and goodbye and he'd give me a hug. I think he was being like really kind because our our relationship, not because he is a kind person, but I think our relationship in the film was tinged with where I, he has to make me feel safe, mm-hmm. you know, the, the character. So, so I just remember him like just being really, really sweet, but not talking a lot and, and observing his, um, his energy, like what he's doing. But yeah, no, he wasn't dark off when we said cut. That's the thing. He was just, he was just owning all that. I don't know, wrapping up all that power. And then once we, the camera was on, it's like so much presence mm. all there. Like that guy was that guy. That wasn't De Niro. That was that guy, you know? 
Have you ever worked with another actor? I mean, I know you were so young when you did Cape Fear, but have you ever worked with, I mean, well, you've worked with so many goddamn actors. I mean, but like, it's it's hard to compare, but I mean, I don't want to ask you that because then it's like, obviously you worked with fucking Meryl Streep and Woody Harrelson and Robert Downey. I mean, there's so many great people, but all right, Right. let me me ask you about this because what about out of all, now that it's like you've been working for like 20 something years, and and yeah. and you did Cape Fear so young, and w- w- what is it that you remember about Scorsese? That sort of, aside the brilliance that's in his head, which you know we can't articulate. What 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 is it like working with him, and what makes him special? And what do you, what what do you think sticks out with him as a director when you're being directed by him? Yeah, the number one thing is his love of cinema and his love of the visual element and his love of everything and passion. Like he's electric to be around. And that was the one thing compared to all other directors is we'd step on set at like seven in the morning and you've seen interviews with Scorsese where he's talks a mile a minute and he's just electric about all things cinema. He just radiates um, passion and love and, and, and energy about it. So to be directed by someone like that. Oh, and, and his energy is unwavering from 7 a.m. till 9 at night. It's mm. the same. And when he would shoot, like, because then Cape Fear, there's this whole montage. He was shooting close-ups of, like, locking the doors, shutting the blinds. It was, like, this super intense. But they're really, you know, not, not exciting shots to be doing, but he made them exciting, and he made everything full of like danger because that's what the film was supposed to be but yeah anyway his that it was that his sense of adventure and his love of of the visual and making everything exciting Mm. to look at to look at and and oh and also he loves actors he he, jessica lang worked different than de niro i worked totally different than everybody i wasn't trained i was all instinct so he knew how to work with and get the best out of every actor that's that's not something all directors know how to do that's good that's good yeah well that's good shit juliet this is the iron rapport podcast all raging bull episode i got my man nick turturro here whose brother, John Turturro, is basically a glorified extra in the film. The film was shot in 79, came out in 80. Mm-hmm. So he hadn't been a... He was just an actor. He was a New York actor. He was a, he was a New York actor who I think it was before... If I remember correctly... This was, is 79. Before Yale. Before he went to Yale. So he had been working at the West Beth Theater in the Bank Street. Him and Michael Bartoluco... We're doing plays down there. Bataluco was doing a play. I forget the name of it. And he played a referee. And I think John was his understudy. So him and Mike were, they, they did their own plays. They were doing a play down there. And apparently De Niro and Pacino were going to come one night. And uh, my brother told me, because I had just seen New York, New York. And I said, really? They're both coming? Because as far as I know, they're both coming. I go, can I come? And he goes, yeah, but be cool. Be fucking cool. Don't, don't fool around. All right? I, said, I said, all right, I'll be cool. He said, because I may not be on tonight, but Bataluco's going on. But I want to be sitting near him, too. I said, okay. He goes, there's four seats roped off. I said, I'm going to sit next to the last seat roped off. 
and I went with this blue Hawaiian shirt like he wore, Jimmy Doyle, New York, New York. I was just a kid, you know? I'm wearing a blue Hawaiian shirt. It looked like that. And um, Pacino doesn't come. But De Niro comes with Sis Corman. Sis Corman was a, a big casting director back then. He comes, man, my heart was pounding. I'm a kid. I mean, De Niro in his heyday with the thing on his the mole. cheek, the mole. Oh, shit, I see him. But my brother said, be cool. When so, you saw him, were you like, holy shit? Oh, yeah. Yeah, fucking. You know, movie stars have big heads, too. Like me and my brother talked about that. Physically big heads. Yeah, they have big, a lot of them have big heads. Yeah, it's true. Know, their heads are big. And he sat down, but there was four seats. And I think he sat like in one seat. There was one empty seat. He sat, then she sat. And he must have realized if two other people come, they're going to be on each side of the, the four seats roped off. So like he sat down and then he got up. And he sat right next to me. I was like, oh, shit, man. Here's my chance, but I can't fuck up. I have to be cool, because John told me, be cool. So I'm sitting there, man, and I said, excuse me. I said, do you have the time? <laughs> I said, that's the exact question. Exact question. He says, about 15. I said, thank you. I turned around. He must have said, what the fuck that kid asked me for the time for? I'm wondering why that kid asked me the time. Probably freaked him out. He was like, he did a couple of double takes too. He's looking at the shirt. Fucking, you're looking at the shirt and shit like that. And I don't know if he was wondering like, what's the fucking blue? You know, he, he wore that, he wore a shirt that looked like that. Kid asked me for the time. So second half, John told me, move over. I'm sitting next to him. I said, okay. Um, so I guess he was talking to John a little bit. And I don't know why they... You know, John maybe had a guinea t-shirt. Maybe he liked John's look. They were casting, they were looking at the time for people, for Raging Bull. And I think when Badalucco came out, he laughed. He broke out in laughter. I saw him light up. And then uh, even John said, he goes, he goes, I think he was even checking you out. He asked me, who was that kid? He said, that's my brother. He said, no, no problem. He said, but uh, you did good. You did good. So then John told me, you know, that they were going to get an audition yeah, he liked Bartoluco, and he liked the way John looked. Audition so, for Raging Bull. He told Bartoluco, he said, you and your friend with the guinea t-shirt. This is coming from Bartoluco. He told me the Michael story. Michael Bartoluco, the actor. Bataluco, you know him from tons of films. He was a prop man. The practice. That, and then he became an actor. Yeah, he was an actor with John in college. He was really an actor that started doing props, but he was, you know, he worked with Woody. He was Woody's prop man. Then Woody he's put in him Broadway in some. Danny Rose. Yeah, he's great. He's ripping up money. He's a wild man, Bartoluco. He's a wild man. But he's a trained actor. Trained actor. He's a real actor. It's just that, you know, he was doing, you know, he was doing another job for a little while. But Michael was a, was a smart guy. A little crazy, too. Of so course. They, um, they went out and got the book. They used to research things. They bought the book. I guess Raging Bull. Raging Bull. A lot of people don't know that it was based on a book that Jake LaMotta wrote. Yeah. And Not was, a great book, a no, good book. No, I heard it wasn't even that great. I never read it, to be honest. I read Wise Guys, but I never read that book. There was no Joey character. There was a best friend. Right. The best friend was Pete Savage. Peter right. Savage, who has a cameo at the end. Peter Savage was with Jake's best friend because I met him at a college class. I was taking a film course. I met Pete Savage. So that Joey character was the best friend. But I don't know Joey, if they, the Joe Pesci character. So there was no brother who right. was, like, the, that brother thing was created by created De Niro that. and Scorsese. And Scorsese and De Niro. And, and, uh, and, and, and was uh, it, who wrote the script? Um, um, and, um, he's the right, Scorsese, I think he did Mean Streets. Yes. Martin Mardick or something? Yes, yes, yes. Martin Mardick. Anyway, they created that. Okay. So John and Bartolucco got the book and they dressed up as 50s guys. They were young, but 
And no, the older guy, like Frank Vincent got cast, those guys were a little older than John and Badaluco. So obviously when they went in to like read for Salvi, they probably said, well, you could, nah, maybe you're too young. They told De Niro, because they told Badaluco, John and Badaluco went in with suits and they were dressed in 50s gear. Because everybody wanted to be a part of yeah. this movie, yeah. Raging yeah, Bull they, at the time, you know, young actors. Young actors. And they said, we have a scene, we have, a, we have, we have material. And they were like, well, what scene? There's no, there's no scene, Scorsese said. He goes, no, 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 we, 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 we got the book. They got a book. They got the book. They did like a scene from the book. Right. They wrote their own scene. Right. They had a prop bag. They had a bag with guns in there, Bartoluco said. They said they were going to maybe, you know, if they had to desperately pull out these guns. But they never pulled them out. They had prop guns in the bag, Bartoluco tells it very dramatically. He's like, yeah, we had, we had guns, Nick. We had guns in the bag. <laughs> But they never revealed the guns. But Scorsese was going to like not let them. He liked them. He liked their look because you're too young or something. And then he goes, no, we, we, we have a scene. We want to we wanna read our scene for you. They were like, what scene? There's no scene. And he goes, yeah, we got a scene from the book. We, we, we lifted it from the book. So De Niro being an actor, hey, let them read. Let them do the, you know, he, he liked, he got a kick out of them. Uh-huh. So they enjoyed them. So they gave Bataluco this part where he actually had a few lines. He was at the soda fountain where he goes, hey, Mike, give me a Coke. And he yes. brings him over and a he Coke. he brings him a Coke. And then they use John and Bataluco in the scene where he sees uh, Vicky. At the Cobra at the dance. They're at the table at the dance. And if, you'll see, if you look at the movie, you'll see yeah. John Turturro, young John Turturro. At the, Shakes at the, De Niro's hand. He's right. sitting right next to De Niro. Bataluco's got like a toothpick in his mouth. And then Pesci's there, and then De Niro's childhood friend, who's like a wild man, who's at the table. He throws somebody out. So that was, and he didn't even get a credit, John. But Bataluco got a SAG card from Raging Bull. And you went to the set. I went down as a kid with John, and then we watched him film the scene where he shakes our hand. We were like, we were across the street. I remember he came out of his trailer. The first time he meets, first time he meets Vicky, he yeah. shakes her hand at the pool. He goes, you want to meet my brother? He goes, it's going to be the next champ, right? Jake, come here. And then, you know, he comes by and he goes by the gate and he goes, how you doing? You know, where you from? Around here. You know, you like that car? He goes, you, know, you want to go for a ride? You want to go for a ride? And so we were like fucking 10 feet away. We're watching the whole day. I'm like, man, look how good he looks. When him and Scorsese, all you could see was them talking in, the, in his ear, like whispering in his ear. There wasn't a lot of people on the street. There was a few people. It's a different time. Right. It was a different time. And I just remember, I was blown away. We stood there for hours. I went far enough that we didn't bother them, you know, because I didn't want to get John in trouble or anything. But we were watching that whole scene. It's a beautiful scene. Yeah. Great scene when he shakes a hand, you know. And what did, what did, didn't you, what do you remember about, the, I remember you said like the way he, the way he moved, like you, you, I remember you told me like just the way he looked Yeah, the physically. way he looked, the way he looked physically, the way he walked down the street. You know, like I, I have a problem with a lot of these guys that fight fighters, like even the kid in Creed, nothing against them. And Jake, they're all pumped, they're all steroid out. I mean, they, were, they look too muscular. Like uh-huh. he actually looked, whether he could fight or not. You bought him as a fighter. He had a fighter's body, like a flat body, but his bounce, his step, you could see like, man, he's a, he's a fucking movie star and he's a great actor. And look at him. He's right. just like poetry. I just had that image of him coming out. I'm, and he looked, he looked beautiful. He yeah. looked like a fighter. Yeah. He looked like a fucking prize fighter. Like, yeah. You were like, wow. You know, I've met real fighters. I was friends with Boom Boom Mancini, and I, I did a play with him. I used to take his shirt off. I used to, right. I used to feel his body. I used to go, ooh, what a body, <laughs> Ray. 
I love fighters' bodies. No, I'm, I know I'm what not, you mean. I'm not homosexual, but their bodies are beautiful. And I'm like, I could feel them up, man. I could feel their bodies. I love their bodies. They're beautiful bodies. I agree. I know exactly They're what you're saying. beautiful bodies. So, so the movie, so why do we love this movie so much? Essentially, it's about a, a, a guy who is abusive, self-destructive, um, and just a fucking terror. The character in this movie, obviously, you know, the movie Raging Bull and the character that they created in out of Jake LaMotta is, you know, it's not... It's not literal to his right. life. I mean, right. obviously, Jake, the real Jake, has his thing. But we're, so we're talking about the movie. But the, this movie character, the, the brilliance of the movie, Mike, is the execution. The story is not that incredible. He's not even a guy that you should care or like. But for some reason, I think we see a lot of things of ourselves in Jake. You know, I've I know we're insecure. I know deep down we're jealous. I know you don't want nobody fucking your girl or your wife. You know, so there are things there that. Deep down, even though people say, oh, he's an animal, he's a fucking brute, but deep down, there's a lot of things that, that the relationship of that movie, and you almost feel like it's very personal, that movie, you almost feel like you're looking in a window, you know, between him and Pesci, the acting was off the wall, because it was very much like, like this, like me and my brother, when we have a conversation, people go, wow, I love watching you and your brother talk, because we're brothers, we're brothers, and you don't see that in a movie. You know, like when he does the t- the movies, like you know, you know, what's the matter with you? My hand, wrap it around your hand. He goes, you know, not too many more. You know, the fuck, you know he's like, you know, just the, the conversation that they have, the give and go, and and the brutality, and the, you know, he's like, I was watching that scene the other night. You know, did you or did you not? You know, he's not gonna answer that. It's a sick question. I ain't sick enough to answer. I ain't gonna answer that. He's, you give me all these answers, but you don't give me the right one. He was really fucking nuts. It was like an acting exercise. De Niro was right. That just, character. Just tell me. Just tell me. He goes, did you or did you not? Because I heard some things. What things? I heard some things. When he said, "Wait," he says, "I heard some things. I heard some things." Oh, you know, fucking start that worrying shit. Don't start it. Christ's sakes. He's like, "Sound me, fuck Vicky." You know, he's like, "Jack, don't start your shit." And then when he says, "You included you with them," you could have said anybody, but you said you and them. He goes, you don't know how nuts you are. You know, the, the, the insanity of the things that you think that you could drive yourself fucking crazy. There's as some, a man, and that's, as I a think, man, the thing that I think that we relate and to. And I think that's what we relate to. That we relate I mean, to that. many things, but that, I, 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 I know no, what you're saying. And it's not something you're proud of. No, you're not proud of it. I'm not proud of it. It's a of, weakness. We, and yeah, it's, it is a weakness. It's an insecurity. But he shows it so openly yeah. that as men, this is why, because I was trying to think of this answer. Why am I doing this? Going, I'm doing a screening of Raging Bull. I'm doing, you know, like, okay, yeah, it was a great performance. But, like, what is it about you, you love about the character? And I think it's not that we love, like, we celebrate him like he's a rogue. But we relate to it, yeah. the insecurities. We, yeah. love, we relate to his flaws. Yeah. And I think as, as men, and, I, and women can say the same thing. And obviously, I but think I think so. it's a very masculine sort of thing it tapped into. It with, is. With the jealousy and the insecurity and the self-destructiveness. Yeah. And and, we, and I and I, I I think you know yeah. you as somebody like I think you know it's something that it's it's a common thing and a lot of people probably wouldn't even admit that they have but I know you and I and me and you we could say that we had that and also the humor of it yeah. because we me because it is some of it is funny and some of it is sad but the jealousy and you know the insecurity of that. It, it hits home when, when you're a man. Right. You know, like, and the things, a lot of things about Raging Bull, that the truth, 
I think it's so true that it comes back to Jake. There's a lot of truth. You know, there's a lot of humor in it, you know. And talk about the humor. Yeah, the humor. I mean, the, the, because also, I, I, for me, the first time I saw that movie, I didn't think it was funny. But as you keep, because you're sort of knocked on your heels. I'm trying to like, I mean, I was a fucking kid. I was, I was How 10. You? I was 10. Yeah. So the first time you're watching, it's so tense. You, it, it's beyond the tension that he created because they, they, they sort of dupl- They got in the same ballpark. De Niro, I mean Scorsese during Goodfellas and the famous My Clown, it, it kind of yeah, but more subtle, more it subtle, was more ra- subtlety. And then you have to watch that movie over the years. Where right, there's a lot of quiet, there's a lot of moments that are funny that you didn't know were funny. Right, you know, even like when he's sitting there in the kitchen with the girl and he goes, um, he goes. We, you know, uh, when they talk about Gennaro. Yeah, no, and then it was just when his first date when he's sitting there with her and he goes, we, We're so oh. far away. You're, you're like on the other side of the room. Right. He keeps trying to get her closer. He goes, Come over here, come over here. Come over here, come a little closer. You know, then he takes her in the bedroom and he goes, You like, you, you like that picture? You like that picture? He goes, Yeah. Me and my brother fooling around. Goes, and how beautiful you are. Anybody ever tell you how beautiful you are? Ah, yeah, they tell you all the time. She has that nice neck. He kisses the neck. It's funny. It's just something funny about. It. He sits on the be- on the bed and he puts his hands. It's awkward too. Yeah. Well, he's very awkward with women anyway. But in the character, like but, he does that perfectly. It is. It is awkward because you don't see them kiss. No. You don't see them make out. There's no sex no in the movie. Sex. I, I, no nothing. No. The only thing you see it's sexual which is movie, really though. sexy, which is will will make you want to almost you know play with yourself. Is when she kisses his fucking stomach. Right. That is a turn on. Yeah. That, and you see nothing. Oh, yeah, but you see his face. Yes, his reaction. When she's going down to that area. Yeah. You're like, oh my God. Yeah. And, and the, the way he, she's doing the way it. And, she's, the, doing and she's so Kathy Moriarty. She was I, great in it. One of the most beautiful. She was um, beautiful. And as far as like on screen characters, physically knockout. Yeah, she was gorgeous. They found her, Pesci found her, I think. She was a big bombshell. Knockout. I saw her too by the pool. I was like, who is that girl? The bombshell. And then when I saw Pesci too, I was like, wow, who's this guy? He's fucking great. Because he was as good as he was in all these other movies. When you watch him in that movie, he's, a, he's fantastic. He's fantastic in that movie. He's so, you know, he's so great. Because he wasn't like, you know, even doing the Joe Pesci stuff. Like, you know, he's flashy. He's great in Goodfellas. Don't kid you. He's, he's terrific. But he's so wonderful. Yeah. In, in the scenes with, with, you know, he's just great. You know, he's, he's so funny in, in, his, in his way, the way he explains things to his brother. If you he, win, you win. Right. If you win, you win. If you lose, lose you still win. Just get down to 155 pounds, you fat fuck. You stop right. eating. Right, right. He's just great the way he talks to him. You know, um, it's just it's just his way about it. Um, he was really just wonderful. I, I just and I saw it too. I was like, wow, this guy is good. He said, I remember my brother. Yeah, he's great. He's great, man. They broke his balls. I heard about. It. They tracked him down. They found De Niro. Found him in some movie, and they get, they tortured him. I heard for like a year. Pesci. Yeah, listen, you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna get the part. You're gonna get the part. Then in the end, they were gonna like almost give it to somebody else, and he went wild. I heard. I heard he fucking went wild. He was like, he was ready to fucking kill somebody, you know, because it was like you know he had a hard time breaking into show business. Right. He never got a break, and right. then De Niro tracked him down. Had a good eye. Must have, De Niro must have had a great eye. They knew. Saw him in this movie. 
you know, with Joe Cortese, another yeah. crazy guy. You know, and Joe Cortese was trying to get in. All these guys were probably trying to become that part. I think everybody wanted that part. And I was like, who is this guy, Joe Pesci? Where did he come from? He's fucking great. In the end, when he's come here, when he's trying to talk to him, come here, come here. He was great when he gives him like, you know, huh? He goes, you know, he goes, come on, come on. You're going to forgive and forget. It's, it's, it's sad. And he's kissing him. Kissing him almost like me. He loved his brother. Loved yeah. him. But then, you know, he fucking he fucked him. He right. really, really hurt him. Yeah. I mean, you beat your brother up like that, throw him through a glass window. I'm right. Like, fuck is wrong with you? <laughs> fuck is wrong with you? Right. You know? It's your brother. You put him through the window. <laughs> it's because of what jealousy can do. Yeah. Understand this. I'm not going to say it. <laughs> now then, see this? You can say now, it. No, I'm not saying it. Now, look at that sign. You can say it. Now, the rage of this. The, he saw, he's making a can drive Has sound. driven people to do murder. Oh, no, it's crazy. Murder, O.J. Simpson. I mean, yeah, murder. I, we're, not, he, we're not condoning this. No, we're not saying condoning. it can make it's you terrible. nuts. It's terrible. Jealousy yes. can make O.J. Simpson. Because when we you get... You did it, O.J. Yes, when you get... Uh, 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 you know, and man... And, you, and it's that thing of you think it's yours. And yeah, you think it's, it's not your, yours. It's not yours. It's not yours. It's just a little piece of snapper. It's a little snapper that's not yours. You think it's yours. You think you own it. You don't own it. You don't own anything. You came in alone. You're fucking going out alone. It's not coming in the box with you. Right. You like to think it's yours. Right. When you're sucking on it or whatever, you know, this is mine. This is mine for good. All right, this is John Turturro. Hello? John, it's Michael. Hey, Michael, how are you? I'm good, how you doing? So what are you doing, a podcast for? So I'm doing a podcast uh, in celebration of the 35th anniversary of Raging Bull. And um, of course, you know I know you were in the film, and 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 I know that it was like the first thing you would ever, uh, the first film you had ever gotten a part in. And I just wanted to just ask you about like how you wound up in the film, and what you remember about, uh, you know, the experience being on the set, and like, you know, what compelled you to go so, f- from what I know, so far out of your way. Uh, you know, to, to, to like audition and, you know, keep auditioning for De Niro and Scorsese and just what you remember. It was 35 years ago, so it's a long time ago. But I mean, at the time you were, you know, a young New York actor. And, uh, you know, obviously it, it must have been an exciting uh, set to be on. So I just wanted to, you know, hear uh, what you remember, what your thoughts were and, and, and uh, how the experience was. Well, I was in college uh, in SUNY Newports, and I would in the summers. Uh, and this was I don't know what summer it was because it was a couple of years before they made the movie. Maybe it was nineteen seventy seven, seventy eight, seventy eight. Yeah, and uh, Michael Bartoluco, who became my friend, he was older than me. He introduced me to all the people at the West Bank. Uh, theater center, and we were doing a play there, uh, Tooth of Crime, and uh, and I, he had to leave, so I replaced him, and then uh, we heard that De Niro was going to come. You know, I had never met De Niro, but he was like a big, you know, because of Mean Streets and Taxi Driver, 
uh, was going to come. But then he wanted to come back and replace me, which he did do. And then I was at the, like, kind of at the, I was a ticket taker. And I remember that everyone said, well, you should come when De Niro comes. Uh-huh. And I was really, and I was, I remember I had like a t- tight t-shirt on. And I was, I was like 20, I guess. Wow. Yeah. And uh, he uh, uh, was 21, 20. And then he came, I, I made him pay, I remember. <laughs> so, That's funny. And I sat next to him. Uh, and then we saw the show and he was laughing with Mike and and then I guess uh, he told Sis Corman who was a casting agent that he liked Michael in the play and he noticed this other guy who was picking the tickets and I was sitting next to him and uh, he, he thought I'd like to bring these two guys in and so we got this phone call and Michael got it and I I guess I got it. He got my number. I don't know how they got my number. Uh, and uh, they, uh, 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 we were supposed to meet them, which is Corman. They had no script or anything. I had never gone on a professional audition in my life. I had auditioned for college plays. Right. And we went, we went and we took pictures, Michael and I. We used to buy our clothes in all these thrift shops in New York. So we had lots of 40s and 50s clothes. And we bought, and we took like resume, like pictures of us in 40s clothes. And Michael and I decided we were like, you know, I said, you know, because my dad was an amateur boxer, and I used to buy fight films from Jim Jacobs from Ring Magazine, who wound up being Mike Tyson's manager. So I, I had all these books on fighters when I was a kid, because my father loved boxing, and I had eight millimeter Super 8 films of, of all these different fighters. Sugar Ray, uh, Graziano, Marciano, Joe Lewis. And I read Raging Bull when I was like 10 years old. Right. I read, I read the book. I mean, it was an adult book, but I read it. I, I used to read all these biographies. And I said, listen, I have this book. I said, so why don't we, so we decided to adapt the scene and try to convince them to let us, you know, show them the scene. So we rehearsed the scene. We had like a month in advance. I remember like, like we did it like a play. We adapted it. We we did it on a table. We did it boxing. We did it running. We did it swimming. We did it all kinds of ways. <laughs> I worked with a teacher on it. It was like this whole thing. But then the night before we were supposed to go in, you know, we were like, suppose they don't let us do it. You know, because they don't have a script or anything. And I never got on an audition. So Mike was like, well, if they don't let us do it, then... He was all fired up. He said, you know, we'll hold them hostage. We'll do all kinds of crazy. And I was like, come on, man, you can't really do that. And, uh, uh, you know, but he was like serious. He was saying, like, no, no, we'll scare them. You know, well, I was like, oh, no, no, my career will be over before I forget. <laughs> and, and so then we went to the, to the meeting. And, uh, you know, we were supposed to just say hello. Like, you know, go in like a quick Woody Allen type of, you know, and I guess Mike talked to them, and he said, "You know, we have this little scene," and they were, and and then they were laughing or whatever. And then they brought me in, and uh, I think they brought me in alone. And Mike went out, and I said, "Yeah, blah blah blah." We talked a little bit, and they said, "We have this scene," and so I think Mike was still in there when I came in. That's what he was. And Marty was like nervous. He was like, "Well, we don't have a script, we don't have anything." And I was like, "Oh, come on, let's, let's let them let them do it." They adapted it from the book. 
So we had to move a table, I remember. It was a glass table. And all four of us had to pick the table up. And we, there was no base. And Scorsese was going, props, props, you know. And like, we had to move the table over, and then we had to push the base over. That's and we funny. did this like on the waterfront scene, like between Jake and his friend, like Pete Savage. Like, and I guess, you know, we had noted, we did it like for a month straight, you know. So, we, you know, and I think we're really kind of like enamored that we were these two stupid kids, really. Uh, uh, and they were looking at young people because he was supposed to be really young in the beginning and then get older. But really, honestly, we were too young because he was 15 years older than us. So, but they were really kind of enamored that we had the hood spreader to, to do it. And then they kept calling us back for a year. And, uh, and uh, you know, they would show us the scenes and there were these scenes that were in the movie, but of course they elaborated once they did it. As the brother, as Salvi, the one that Frank Vincent played. Right. And you know, I never went on, and I used to go to Marty's apartment, and I used to audition there. I had I never been on a, you know, ever. Like, And then we heard about all these guys who were auditioning, the famous stories we heard about Joe Pesci, and then we heard about this other guy who was up against Joe Pesci, Joe Rocco. It was the famous Joe Rocco. And then Joe Rocco was going to get the part. I mean, this was, but it was over a year. And I went back to school. And then my father got a call one day, and they said, uh, Mike got a little part as the soda clerk right. or something. And, but I, I think before even he got, the, he got a call, and then I got a call, and they said they were going to maybe use me. And, my, and I, was, I remember I came out of the shower, and my father was all excited, you know. I didn't really have any lines or anything. And uh, and then, uh, you know, I, I just see Mike, he did the scene at the pool. He may not be, we may not actually see him in there, but he's a sort of uh, like the, the guy who's uh, the clerk at the pool. Right. Uh, as a sort of jerk. And uh, but I watched De Niro and Captain Moriarty. And, but I had never been on a, you know, Mike. father was a cop man. So I had never really been on a movie set in my life. And this guy was like, you know, like two of our heroes because, you know, at that stage we were, you know, it was a different thing. It was it was a big deal, like because it was. I saw him in Bang the Drum slowly, and and then I saw him in you know, uh, uh, in Streets and Taxi Driver, and I think and The Godfather Part Two. So, you know, besides like Pacino and, and Dustin Hoffman, he was like you know, the, you know, big hero and. Uh, uh, and then I remember we were on a set and we were sitting there and I remember the days they, they, they gave me a bad haircut and, and they, they put me in a 40 thing and De Niro came on the set and he didn't like the way my collar was and he made them change my shirt and How, collar. What didn't you like about it? it? It was wrong. It was too loose. It wasn't right. And he said, it's not right. And they fixed it. And, uh, you know, we were just at the table said, hey, Chance, how you doing? Hey, Jake, how's it going? And we were laughing, you know, with Joe Pesci and stuff, but I was so nervous, I remember, I was like, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, but it was like three days long, and it took them three days because they had to shoot this whole big sequence, so I was waiting around a lot, and then later on, you know, I got to know, uh, like when I did Danny's BPC, he came to see the play, Bob, and then I auditioned for Marty, and uh, I did Color of Money, and then 
And then, you know, and then I've worked with Bob a lot, and I worked on a lot of movies that Marty was executive produced, and, you know, mm-hmm. I almost, you know, I was in a conversation with the Goodfellas, but then it was like, you know, then they used Joe, you know, because I was, you know, he had the whole relationship, and Joe was great. But, right. uh, but, I, but I, you know, I worked a lot with, I know Bob really well, you know, and I know Marty pretty well, too, and she's actually helped me on the movies I directed, but it was a really huge, like, like, you know, and then I saw the movie, of course, and we were in the movie, and it was like, I couldn't believe I was even, like, in it for a bit. Right. And, of course, and the movie was like, I remember we went the first day to see it, and uh, I don't know if it was the premiere, but, uh, no, it was at the Sutton. It was at the Sutton. And, and then I went a lot of times to see it, and, uh, uh it was, you know, it was obviously the movie, you know, stands up, you know, for the work they did, you know, the cinematography and the sound and the acting. and But they worked on it for years, you know. And uh, I remember, you know, hearing all the stories that they found this guy, Joe Pesci, who had retired and all that stuff. But it was, you know, it was really... Uh, uh, and Bob remembers the whole thing, you know, because he, he never forgot that we did that scene. Yeah. Uh, and so it's weird that I've become kind of like friendly with them over the years. And Marty introduced me to Francesco Rosi when I did The Truce and yeah. showed me all his films. And he's helped me when I did Mac. And, you know, when I showed him, you know, when he was in the jury when I did Illuminata and Khan. And so I've done, you know, all these things. But still, I remember that. And uh, it was just a it was a different time you know, in movies. It was it was almost like the end of an era. Right. Um, we didn't really know that because it was United Artists and it was when they did Raging Bull and Heaven's Gate, they basically then they went bankrupt. And that was, once that company that that kind of changed the whole movie, you know, industry. But it was a different time, you know, uh, where it, it was it was sort of the end of that golden era of everything and uh but I, you know, it was my first uh, experience. So De Niro's performance is like considered a benchmark in in acting and 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 a benchmark in method acting. And and this is there's no right or wrong way to answer this. I I, I just wanted to hear you if you could articulate what is method acting. I mean, he studied with Stella Adler, and I think she really helped him, you know, use you know, make things personal and use his imagination and, you know, be able to work physically on things. And he's a real student of Stella Adams. And whatever her technique is, which is documented very well, you know, it's very different than maybe the Strasburgs and also different than Sandy Meisner's, you know. But I think what people were all doing where they were delving, you know, into themselves and also their imagination and you know and I think you know in his particular case in that thing it's a very you know he, he trained years you know he, he didn't get all pumped up really he, he trained really years and I think basically you know after he did then he did that big weight gain because he was interested how athletes blow up that kind of like wounded for every every actor because after that they were like well I gotta really gain the weight I can't have the fat suit and stuff like that and so it, 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 it changed things. He kind of, you know, uh, uh, it just changed things that way. But it, I mean, I think he was just really doing it just 
because he saw how athletes were so, you know, uh, in such fantastic shape, and then they blow up so much. And it was very bad, I know, for his health. Right. You know, very bad for his health. And, uh, you know, but I think... I think the acting in that movie is really between the characters, not just him alone. I mean, Joe is every bit as good as him mm-hmm. and goes head to head with him. Kathy is great in the movie. And I really do think you see a lot of teamwork in that movie. And I think it's not just like a, you know, tour de force type of thing. And, uh, but it's just, I think there's a lot of like, just great like dedication to something uh, and you see that now, but it's 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 not always other piece, and that is other piece, right? The other people, it's other piece, and I and I don't think it's like done to just be you know uh, flashy or this or that. And I think you know that he, they had a whole thing going between them, you know, him and Marty, and and Joe certainly was you know he's fantastic. You know, in the movie, when you saw him, you were like, who is this guy? Right. And he, I mean, you couldn't do that today. You I mean, you know, in a way, they were kind of brilliant. Like, here's a guy who's a known guy playing another character, play, playing an un, against an unknown actor and actress, which makes him look much more believable as that character. Right, instead right. Instead of playing against, like, you know, if Harvey would have played it, which I think they totally thought, then it would have been like, oh, it's Harvey and Bob again, uh. you know, for Mean Streets. But this, you made it seem much more like Jake because we, these other people seem so real. And uh, I, I think it was very hard to do nowadays. That's a good point. To do that. That's a good that's you, a... you can't really do that nowadays. And I just think the nature of it is, and that makes the, the well known person look fresh. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And I just think it just reminded me the movie, to me, that movie reminds me of going to acting class. It, it, and I remember I was in the study in Death of a Salesman uh, with Dustin Hoffman. And Dustin Hoffman, when he saw the movie, he said, that was like going back to class, watching a lot of those scenes. And and, and it was. Because uh, I, I studied like with this guy, Bob Modico, who was Sandy Meisner's, you know, he studied with Sandy and he was his assistant. And, and you know, it was like when you watch a great scene in the class and you were like, people were just doing it to do it. You know, not for money, not for fame, and not, and you just you, you kind of feel that in the movie, you know, of when those guys are, you know, they're really working with each other really well. Right. And I know that Marty, you know, he, you know, he was sick before he did it, and I, you know, he killed himself on it. You know, and I know that he he didn't want to finish ever editing the movie. They had to like basically pull it away from him at the last minute, you know, to get it in the theater. Right. He was still fudging with his one of the lines or something. Uh, uh, but, you know, it's, uh, they, were, they were definitely trying to push it. Also, people didn't do a lot of interviews in those days, so you didn't really know who the people were. And it made you kind of go with it more. Right. They, weren't, they, didn't, they didn't talk about it very much. John, why well, I, I, I don't want to keep you, I, I appreciate it. You know, uh, you're, you're, I mean, you know, I always tell you this. You're my guy. I, I just have so much respect for you. So I, I appreciate you doing this. Uh, and, oh, yeah, uh, my pleasure. And, uh, and 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 hopefully, hopefully, I'll see you soon, John. And, and enjoy the holidays. Okay. All right. But you too. Sincerely, okay. John. Thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate it. Uh, my pleasure. Okay. Nice to hear your voice, Mike. I'll talk to you soon, John. 
Talk to you soon. Okay? Yep. Bye-bye. Great Sneakers is the first sneaker brand from Brooklyn, New York. Great is a direct-to-the-consumer sneaker brand that's redefining the sneaker business. They eliminate the middleman to save the customer money by selling to you at greats.com. I'm telling you, these sneakers are comfortable, stylish, and made with premium materials. Check out all the sneakers at greats.com, and you could save 20% off when you use the promo code RAP, R-A-P. That's RAP, R-A-P. Go to greats.com. Guys like Marshawn Lynch and Kevin Durant also endorse great sneakers, all right? Marshawn Lynch just came out with the Beast Mode sneaker made exclusively by greats.com. All right, made by great sneakers. Go to greats.com and save 20% by using the promo code RAP. Trust me, stylish, comfortable, low key, flashy, but not too flashy. Greats.com. Go to greats.com. All right, this is the I Am Rapport podcast, all Raging Bull episode, and somebody who I just, a lot of the people that I'm interviewing, I just intuitively know. That they they love Raging Bull. So uh, one of the funniest uh, sort of underrated, underappreciated people who uh, I'm a fan of is Jim Brewer, and I've always loved all his stuff and all his impressions. And he does the the best uh, Joe Pesci impression. I've never heard him actually speak on Raging Bull, but again, I just pretty sure that he's into it and um, can get him and get his impression of the film, what it means to him what he likes about it, what he doesn't like about it, and uh, this, that, and the other thing. So uh, we're calling him live right now. Comedian, actor, funny motherfucker, Jim Brewer. (laughs) All right, this is the I Am Rapport podcast, speaking to Jim Brewer. Um, and, and, And I've never actually... I've never actually spoken to you about Raging Bull, but I just intuitively guessed... When I when I was deciding to do this this episode, that you would be somebody who loves the movie, and 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 then you know checking with you, I, I I'm right. So, what is it about the movie uh, that that you, you you know you said to me that you you said it's it's one of your favorite movies, if not your favorite movie. Talk to me about the movie. I've talked enough, Jim. You, I mean, I'm sure you got much much a lot of things to say about about Raging Bull. So talk to me about it and and what it means to you and what what what's exciting about it, what's funny about it, and everything in between. There were so many things that resonated with me. I was a kid, and my I had an Italian um, nanny. So the De Niro role was very much like the guy that I called Grandpa, who, at the end of that relationship, actually got violent with, uh, with, with, uh, with her at home with my nanny. So that ended really bad. I remember being a kid. So they were, and where I grew up, you know, even though it was Long Island, people don't think of it. It was a lot of that. It was a lot of that. Right. So that that was the first thing that really, and I would, I would find myself laughing at <laughs> De Niro because when, when something's so real life, I, I just, I instantly crack. I don't know why I just crack up. To me, it was an impression on everyone that I grew up with around me. It was, it was. It was brilliant. And I remember going to school because I was too, kind of too young to, to see the movie. And I remember, and I told my dad too, my dad wasn't a big movie guy. I said, dad, you got to watch this movie. Mom's not going to like it, but you got to watch this <laughs> movie. And, um, 
that became my alter, and that movie made me start watching De Niro and Pesci. That, to this day, I still say those are the two best acting roles that have ever resonated with me, probably in history. I mean, Goodfellas is great, and so many other movies, Nicholson, but, but, but so many little scenes in that movie still stick out in my head. Almost, almost bigger than when the first time I saw Star Wars. Mm. So many scenes. The 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 scene with the you want your steak, you want bring it over. You want you just the slow rising boiling in him. Bring it over. How long gotta wait? How long gotta, you want your fucking steak? Bring it over. <laughs> and then Pesci comes over. He's like, hey, she's yelling in the background. It's aggravation. I mean, how long you gonna pull? You get. It's aggravation. You can't do this. You can't do this. And, and the and the the scene would hit me in the face. What the fuck is wrong? I'm not gonna punch you in the face. And the, the punching in the face scene and Scorsese. Just the little scene when um they're waiting for the one fight and they're sitting in the room and he's just, oh it's right it's right before uh, Tom and Tommy and all of them leave. And he sees right before that it was when Pesci's ordering the food. Yeah, come on, yeah, you saw him. You know, you want to, you want, you want to eat. But that scene, he, it just—it's so simple, but it's just captivating. De Niro's just prancing like a tiger. There's so many things going on with him. It was, um, and even to this day, I watched it again the other night. I. You know, I'm sitting there with my wife, and she goes, um, "You know, was he really like that? I mean, do you do? You, I go, was he really cheating? I go, well, that's. I think that's the brilliance of this. Scorsese makes you feel what De Niro is feeling, and you know, should he hit her? No, but there was so much shit going on. His pride was taken away, and Pesci just is his brother, and he's looking after him, but he's he's also knows. To get to the championship, he's got to sell his soul. Is oh my god, there's a lot of shit in that movie. I get I can talk about that movie for hours and hours and hours, and I and I understand all views when I watch that movie. Even you, you feel bad for Lamont. Oh, the scene when he's when he breaks down in the jail cell. Right, he's just finally it all came down. You're so stupid. You're so stupid. Why are you so stupid? Well, what what do you think it is that that you know? Because I think men and women look at this movie differently, you know. And and yeah. and, and and for some, for a character to be uh, an abusive, self destructive motherfucker, yet I, I'm doing a podcast about it. You obviously feel is enthusiastic about the movie and as the character. Uh, you know, it's not like we're glorifying it, but what do you think it is about men that we're relating? To somebody that's so, you know, on paper, you'd be like, why would you want to watch this movie? Why are you even discussing this movie? This guy's a fucking scumbag. He beats his wife. Like, what do you think it is? You know, it's because it's obviously it's not like we're like thinking like, you know, this is the Lone Ranger. But but we're sitting here talking about it. And and, and obviously there's humor. So what do you think it is about men specifically? Because you're a man, I'm a man. And I'm trying to get woman's point of view on it. But what do you think it is about men that we relate to this character and feel some sort of compassion? It's a full-blown, I, I think it's a respect thing. All a man wants in life is to know he's 
he's respected and that he's um it's like when I'm gone on the road and I come back appreciated appreciated and respected those are the two biggest things that are very needy for a man that's what fulfill that that's how a man is fulfilled he feels respected um and and when you watch that movie, the, the raging Jake Lamada is a fighter. That's all he knows. He's just a you know part of him is a dumb ox, but he's not really a dumb ox. He's just he's just trying to get by and lie. that's that's what he is. That's what he. But in his small world, you know, at the end, they do they do disrespect him. They do shit behind his back. They do make him do things that, that, you know, if I, it's like me or you and they're like, listen, you want to be Michael, you want to play the big role? We right. got to play this role. I don't want to play that role. Yeah. Well, you want to put, you want to star with this guy? You got to play this role. And it's so, you feel like a whore. You feel humiliated. You feel degraded. It's embarrassing. The people around you are like, why would you do something like that? And right. It's just a horrible fear. I've done it. I've done it multiple times. It's the most disturbing, disgusting feeling. So when the people involved now are technically your wife, your your brother, and, and the tightest people that he trusts the most, you know, you still who's it? You're alone. You're you you can see where the frustration lies and where he starts losing his mind. And you know, they're controlling him and Tommy's control. It's uh it's not a good place to be in life. And I, I I felt his fury, I felt his anger. I would have never have I probably would have never have done what he did because that's just not me. But I I I felt, I felt all of it. Even when he felt horrible after beating the shit out of his brother. Right. That's one of the most unbelievable scenes. And she's chasing him down the street. Stop it! You fucking animal! <laughs> it was, it was, you know, he, he walks in and bing, bang, he's one of his kids and he's pouncing them. And, oh my God. But you feel it. You feel it when he goes, you, you, that scene right before that goes down. Well, uh, to me, that describes the whole feeling of his world coming down when he goes, well, what happened down the culpa? Yeah, well, what, I didn't tell you what happened. He just fucking lied to him, right? I didn't tell you it was nothing. And he said, he, he mouthed off. I slapped him around. That was it. It's fucking, we showed Tommy's over. And he knows. He's just looking at him, and he knows. And you as the viewer know. And he goes, did I have to do it, Vicky? No, I, to I told you. Don't you think I would have told you if it had something to do with Vicky? It was fucking easy. Slapped him, I slapped him around. I bet you fucking hit the thing. You know, it was it. Joey, it was I'm asking you a lot of questions. You're not answering them. I'm going to ask you again. Did you or did you not? I'm not going to answer you. That's a sick question. You're a sick fucking. I ain't that sick on the answer. You fuck my wife? Oh, oh. Where you, where you get your fucking balls big enough to ask me? I'm, I'm your brother. Can you get your fucking balls? Ask me a question. I'm going to ask you again. Did you or did you <laughs> not? And then, then, then he goes, that's a sick question. You're a sick fucking. I ain't that sick on the <laughs> You know, I, 
I feel bad for you. You know that? You fucking, I feel bad. You should get help. You should worry about your weight, you fat fuck. And you wouldn't have problems upstairs and take it on me like a fucking. <laughs> and you, you know what's crazy about that movie is, is that I, I, like, I saw it young too. I saw it 10. So I didn't know what was going on, but I responded. Yeah, to, me too. Yeah, on, on an emotional level, and and I don't think even adult and an adult at the time, I couldn't imagine an, an adult the first viewing, um, yes. taking that in as funny. But after you watch it, you know, I don't know how many times I started to realize that it was funny. But uh, you know, one of the things that keeps coming up is the humor of the movie, and I think you have to sort of be desensitized from the violence of it, and then you keep watching yes. it, and then because the tension is so palpable, and his, and I think the humor comes from when somebody's so frustrated and 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 so overly like i mean there he's so dead faced like if this was a comedy like this is the best the, the straightest like jake is totally straight like he's the straightest yeah. of the straight man ever in terms of comedy and all this shit going around like when you're watching it he's so fucking angry that it becomes oh. funny so fucking funny even pesci with his angles that Scorsese had on Pesci was always like from above. Right. So you always, it never was from like eye to eye. A lot of times you would teach from above and he would capture his fucking look, his twisted look. And you can see everything going on in his fucking head. That one scene where he goes, um, what's so hot? Here, give me a face. Here, touch my face. They slap him and then he falls down on the floor. Is that so fucking hard? You fucking slow down and then you get what you want. Then you fucking need to go on the book. What's so hard about that? He pinches his fucking face. But what you what you were saying, Michael, I, I'm sitting in the bed the other day with my wife and that scene with the whole, when he's fat and he's trying to fix the TV and there was a brilliant, there's such brilliant acting because he's breathing heavy. Mm -hmm. I was, I was fucking howling. I was belly laughing and my wife's going, what, what are you laughing at? It's a big, fucking funny he's fat he's fixing the TV his head and he's just looking at him he's dying to ask him to go he's fucking funny there's some what happened down there Cole <laughs> fucking chewing the sandwich I it's so even when he's wearing even when he's cocky and he's dressed a certain way and he's walking down the street and he, and he pulls his belt buckle he holds on to his belt buckle mm -hmm. lady Oh my God, I'm I'm howling with laughter. It's so funny. I guess because I knew that guy. I, I hear know you. him. I hear you. I hear you. Well, this is good shit, Jim. I I, I appreciate it, and um, you know, I don't want to take. I, I I mean, I I literally could talk to you because you're you're as crazy about this movie as me. And there's a lot of us <laughs> out there. Uh, um, um, so you know, I don't want to I don't want to take up too much of your time. I appreciate it. Well, uh, thank you, and I got I got to tell you. You're the you're one of the only few that I've heard the word comedy come out because to me, I, it's one of the funniest movies ever. I mean, it's fucking brilliant, an emotional roller coaster. But there's some scenes in there that make me belly laugh, belly laugh, and I'm I'm glad you're just as nuts as I am, man. All the best to you, and thanks for asking me to do this, man. Big fan, big props, and um, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, and unless it's not dated. <laughs> just have a good one. <laughs> hey, have a good one, you fucking mutt. Hello, you listen to me? Hello, I hear you breathing, Larry. 
Who's an animal, Larry? Larry. You Your animal? Your mother's an animal, you fucking You son of a bitch. Animal. Shut up, you filthy animal. I'm going to take that dog. I'm going to kill it. You hear me, Larry? <laughs> Larry. <laughs> Adam Carolla. It's the 35th anniversary of Raging Bull. Wow. The film. I'm glad you said that. Yeah, so so first of all, I want to talk to you about, like, what do you think, I mean, as a performer, as an actor, as an admirer of, of film, as now a filmmaker yourself, talk to me about Raging Bull in terms of the context. You know, like, just to, just to sort of preface it, uh, you know, it, 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 was, it was voted the best film of the 80s. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as I'm concerned, it was like a benchmark of acting, I don't think that De Niro's performance has ever been duplicated because I don't think er- an- another production will allow an actor to start one way, shut down for six months, and then gain weight within the same movie, which is what they did for Raging Bull. Um, so, so I mean, you know, well, you know, it's funny. I was watching that movie the other day. I love that movie. I love everything about that movie. I love the comedy in it. There's a lot of comedy. In talk it. to talk about that. Well, I mean, Pesci and De Niro are great. And they have these great scenes that are born from all this tension. And, you know, like the scene where he's telling him to punch him. And he's like, I'm not going to punch you. You're my brother. Why would I punch you? And then by the end of the scene, he's trying to kill him. Mm-hmm. It, that's a great comedy premise. Right. But that is done completely dry. Right. Nobody's winking at the camera. There's no smiling going on. Right. It's like the purest form of comedy. Right. It's actual it's an actual thing that's taking place, which is like a really pure comedy concept, which is very beginning of the scene is I would never do this thing to you. You're my brother. I wouldn't even do it to a stranger, much less my own brother. And then by the end of the scene, I'm trying to kill you. Right. And it comedically is a very strong choice. Right. So I love that. I love all the comedy in the movie that you may not even get or understand i love I, when de niro tells his wife to get out of get out of the room and then and then pesci looks at his wife and goes yeah, yeah what are you looking at get out of here right you know, like right. you tell he's just kind of doing what his big brother right just did and lots of good subtle stuff i was thinking about that movie because it was on the other day and i was like realizing that you know everyone's like well he had to get into shape and they shot all that shit and then later then he got fat right he shot all that shit and then i was picturing the scene where he had the Gennaro fight coming up and he was calling him up stop eating so much you fat fuck you know yeah you gotta gotta make weight and he does this thing where he's like look you make weight you beat the crap out of this guy you don't make weight and all these other guys have been ducking you're gonna have to come out but it doesn't hurt your reputation right if you win you win win. if If you you lose you still still win win. right right just get down to 155 pounds you fat fuck you stop eating right right right. and i was looking at it and i was like yeah he's he's 175 pounds here or 170 pounds did they film this in between Mm -hmm. did they go get this scene in between the in shape Mm -hmm. scenes and Mm -hmm. on the way up Mm -hmm. they must have got it when he was on the way up right no i know what what you mean because he wouldn't want to go down again right he started obviously at the best shape and i know what you mean because throughout the film he starts gaining a little bit of weight he's out of shape right and then later on he's you know a fat slob right and and all of it's without a fat suit and, 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 you know, it's like, I don't think like any production will ever, like that'll never be achieved again. And at the time, you know, it's still like, 
you know, it, it was like as far as like an actor, like you're like, fuck, man. I mean, that's a fucking performance. Like, you know, you get to do all these things. You get to explore, you know, your, you, you know, all these these different emotions and then physically actually has the have the time to physically change to start at two extremes to start at really fit and in shape and like you know become a boxer and then at the end become this fat fuck with no fat suit and and it's just like it, it's just sort of a benchmark you know what i mean and then the yeah, direction I think, I and the, the camera movement and everything everything, everything. about it everything it, you know it was really it was too much too soon for us to fully appreciate and fully absorb. Yeah. It was like you were a nine-year-old watching Fantasia or something, and you just couldn't appreciate the artistry in it because we were, like, too immature, too much. You know, it, 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 like it's literally a movie that in 1980 we couldn't fully absorb. Right. Uh, I mean, we, you know, people are like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's a good movie. But, you know, Mannequin's a pretty good movie, too. Right. Like, it's like, no, no, no. This is not even on the same planet as, as any other movie that's really even come before it. And we couldn't, we couldn't, we almost felt like, like, it's like you're, you're a dog and you, you tell the dog, don't you like the Kobe beef? And the mm-hmm. dog goes, no, I like the, I like the dog food because it's got like guts and jibbles right. and shit. And you're like, but eat the Kobe. That's, right. that's, I, it can't appreciate it. Right. It's like its palate's not good enough. It, it, it actually thinks that the, the, the burger patty that you just slid out of your uh, Burger King bun is better than the Kobe beef because it's not good enough. Yeah. We weren't good enough in 1980 to really absorb that movie. The Iron Rapport Podcast is sponsored by the American Giant Clothing Company, AmericanGiant.com. Go on there. Sweatshirts, rough, well-made, comfortable, breathable, warm. In the, in the winter, you need yourself a nice American Giant zip-up hoodie or a pullover hoodie. American Giant. Go to AmericanGiant.com. Check out the T-shirts, the sweatshirts, the sweatpants. American Giant. All right, this is the I Am Rappaport All Raging Bull podcast, and I'm uh, calling up the dudes from the Dirty Sports podcast, young bulls of the podcast world, and uh, see what they have to say about the damn thing. Hello? Hey, this is Michael Rappaport. How you doing? Good. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. How's it going? Is this, is, who is this? This is Joe Prano, and I got Andy next to me. We're doing an All Raging Bull podcast. I've had some really special people uh, speak on the film. Tell me whatever you're thinking, whatever whatever you love, whatever you uh, you know, passionate about the movie. Well, for me, you know, being a being a guy from New York, and my dad, an Italian from the Bronx, when the first time I ever watched Raging Bull, I was like, this is how people are. There, like, it was so true to life. That's how everybody talks. It was so real. The first time I ever watched it, I was like, I was immediately engulfed in the story from, you know, the first scene where I was like, yeah, I'm on board. This is, this is what his life was. So, and then obviously it's just such a great movie. I think, you know, probably in my opinion, De Niro's best role of all time, which is really saying something. Right, right. Right. You know, one of the things that I've been coming across uh, doing this podcast, interviewing different people, is that the, the movie, you know, the way men look at the movie and the way women look at the movie is differently. 
you know, um, because obviously it's such a macho film, you know, so it's, it, you know, and it's not like uh, Jake LaMotta in, in Raging Bull is uh, the Lone Ranger. That macho, you know, it resonated with me so well because I can relate, especially all those scenes with De Niro and Pesci and the ball busting. I mean, my brother's, you know, I'm 34 now. My oldest brother's 41. I mean, we go home and it's like we're kids again. It's the same shit. And to me, you know, that's a huge sticking point of the movie because those are real conversations. Right. You know, there's nothing, there's nothing fake about that and the interaction and, and the fighting. And, you know, I mean, I, I'll go, when I go back to Ohio for Christmas, it's going to be the same thing where it's going to get, you know, it might get physical. I mean, that, that's how it is. And, and what about the boxing of it all? You know, uh, uh, you know, like Jake LaMotta, you know, obviously I think the, the probably the truest thing about the film, not to say that it's not true. I mean, but obviously they elaborated on things and they combined characters and all that stuff. But like, you know, as far as like boxing and, and uh, you know, where boxing is today and what boxing meant to culturally back then, you know, in, in the 40s and 50s, 60s, 70s, even into the 80s, you know, boxing was, you know, was was a primary sport. It was it was like a, 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 a mainstream sport. Now it's almost, you know, it's behind UFC and I, I feel like it's depleting. But like talk about, you know, like boxing and shit, because you, you guys are sports dudes and stuff like that. So, you know, like talk, speak on boxing and, and, and Jake LaMotta and, and, and like that whole. So, I mean, I never saw him fight. I'm 40. My father saw him fight when he was a kid. He went to the garden. He saw him fight Sugar Ray Robinson. Um, but like, you know, like the, the, the whole boxing aspect of it to me, because to me, you know, the, the boxing scenes are the most stylized. And, you know, like I don't think any film has ever you know, really depicted a boxing match because it's so hard to do because actors can't really get punched in the face. But you felt like you're in the ring with him and you felt like you're feeling all, it, although it's stylized and it, all, it doesn't look real at all, it feels real. Like the feeling you get from those boxing scenes is real, but it doesn't look real. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, the last the last fight he has with Sugar Ray is like the blood is so over the top where you're watching the crowd react like, oh, my God, oh, my God. And you're at home watching, doing the same thing. I think there's only like 10 or 12 minutes of boxing in the movie, but some of those scenes are so powerful and you feel they're so strongly shot in terms of seeing somebody get hit. Right. That in the end, you feel like it is like a whole movie about boxing. Right. When I was a kid, when I was a kid growing up in Westchester in New York, uh, I actually boxed as a kid and – Jake LaMotta's cousin was my trainer. Oh, his, shit. Uh, yeah, so his one of his cousins, who I think is famous for inventing the chip witch, um, <laughs> his, his son was uh, Tommy LaMotta, was my boxing coach. So that's why I knew of Jake LaMotta when I was like 10, 12 years old. He's like, yeah, you know, my cousin, Jake LaMotta. And immediately, like, we all went home after taking training and, like, sat down and watched Raging Bull. And then, like, as kids were doing, you know, which is like 10-year-olds probably shouldn't be watching this movie in the first place. Right. But we were, we were so into it. In a way, I feel like after Raging Bull, every De Niro role has, like, a little bit of LaMotta in it. Mm. Like, it almost, it almost seems like late, especially, like, the late end of De Niro's career now, there's a little bit of stuff that you see in Jake LaMotta that you didn't see before he took that role, but mm -hmm. now it's kind of like, like he's doing LaMotta in Meet the Parents, you know? <laughs> and he's doing, 
he's doing it in Goodfellas. Like he's doing it. Like I feel like it's his, now his middle. It's just like a light, a Lamada light. That's funny. I mean, for me, the thing about the movie, I mean, there's so many things about the movie, but just the performance, the De Niro performance, I, I know what you're saying. I mean, you know, I think that for somebody like De Niro, his performances, that they're so, that we watch them over and over and, 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 you know, and we're mesmerized and you rewind them and you'll watch a scene over and you'll YouTube a scene and, and you'll, you know, they're, they're so iconic and there's just something so charismatic about what he does along with all the technical uh, expertise, you know, as an actor, you know I mean? He's just so good he just has the you know there's like for me like when I articulate like actors like every actor has different energy you know what I mean like acting is like energy like there's the De Niro energy there's the you know Christopher Walken's energy there's you know good actors have energy I have energy you know bad actors have energy everybody every actor brings a part of themselves to the roles and I think you know, sometimes like I've had I've had conversations with people where they'll be like, well, he's just you know, he does the same thing. And, you know, and, and I mean, that that's ridiculous, because if you put the body of work, I mean, he, he, he's been so diverse. But the thing about that film and that 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 uh, that acting, just his his acting in particular is that it was like craftsmanship, charisma and and sort of exposing of himself all in one thing you know it's like the weight gain so the method acting of it all um the drama the 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 the, the you know looking like a boxer he he felt like a boxer then he feels like a fat fuck um the way they changed his face i mean it just was every single thing clicked and and every single thing clicked with scorsese every single thing clicked with the sound you know the sound of the movie is such a big part of it like if you watch the fight scenes you know like I was saying earlier about like you feel like you're in the ring but like there's like all these rumblings and like even like when you know the scenes when he's you know alone in the house with um uh with Vicky you'll hear like you know when they're fighting like you know you'll hear like if you listen to the film if you just listen to it you know like the the sound uh design is incredible like you know there's like animal sounds and you know the punches are all different and you know the, the crowd and the screaming and the flash bulbs are so prominent I mean just I think everything about that film just clicked like they were working on all cylinders everybody was working on all cylinders and it was from the head down and this was sort of a two-headed uh monster because i think scorsese and de niro were really really they were young they were locked in i mean the movie you know it's 35 years later i'm doing a podcast about it everyone loves it everyone talks about it but when the movie came out you know it wasn't well received it wasn't like some blockbuster film and as much as i love the movie you know whenever uh i go to sit down to watch raging bull it's not like you're going to sit down to watch uh you know meet the parents or or vacation or any kind of comedy it's a hard movie to watch you know even even after seeing it i've probably seen it over a hundred times you know in pieces or in in full it's not an easy movie to absorb it's it's disturbing it's but technically just the, the 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 camera work in in the boxing scenes i've i've tried to break them down for 20 years i've watched it and like you still see like if you watch it like the way the camera moves it's poetry it's perfection and and i just think that you know with pesci was perfect kathy moriarty was, was moriarty was perfect every stitch of clothing was perfect every piece of music they used was perfect it just 
it's it's a perfect film that doesn't make it an yeah. easy film but it's a perfect film um by people you know working at, at the highest level um you know at, at the top of their game and and still being hungry you know like not that they're not now but i mean when you're young you could you know it's just like you know those guys who are young titans they were young lions and 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 they were they were fucking hungry and they were they were just you know it, it, you know they just they made this movie and uh you know, it's just something special. But I mean, if if you put out Raging Bull today, it would be you'd be lucky if it made it into a theater. You know, that's not. I was, a- I was gonna say. I was gonna say. I don't think they could do it today. I mean, it's it 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 just they they couldn't. I think there'd be too much PC bullshit, and there'd be so many different angles that people would be complaining about. I think it, it you know it came out at the perfect time. Yeah, it came out at the perfect time, and you know, I don't know if you know this, but like the film. At the you know when they did the best film of the eighties, Raging Bull won the best. But when the critics at the end of the decade they chose Raging Bull as the best film of the eighties, but it lost to Ordinary People for the Oscar. Same thing with um, Goodfellas, which is is not a you know I think Goodfellas is a flashier film. Not to say one's better than the other. The two different films, they're two masterworks. You know, but yeah, it I think Goodfellas is a little bit easier to absorb even though Goodfellas isn't a fucking, you know, it's not a day in the park, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a tough film too, but you know, Goodfellas kind of makes Raging Bull look like a, you know, an easy film to absorb. I mean, Raging Bull, it, it, it doesn't have the, you know, Goodfellas has the pace and it's, it moves and it's quick and it has voiceover and it's, you know, it's a, it's easier to absorb if, 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 uh, I mean, it's not like a, again, it's not like, you know, watching Goodfellas is like having an ice cream cone on a spring day, but um, <laughs> anyway, you know, so I, 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 you know, I appreciate you guys, uh, you know, talking to me about it. I, I, I'm a fan of what you guys are doing and, you know, in the new year, I would love to come on uh, your show and we could, we could talk shit about sports and we, we could start, uh, we could start with my guy Odell Beckham and 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 what what went on yesterday because I know you guys are passionate fans. Oh yeah, we we got we're we're about to actually do ours, Michael. We, we're going to get into a good hour and a half discussion on what the fuck happened yesterday. Hey, listen, I don't know what the fuck happened, but uh, I think that was that's going to be a lesson a lesson learned from him. I mean, I think you know, there's so much going on. He's such a star and he's so great. I just hope I just hope at one point he turned to Norman and he was like, "You you never got me down. You never got me down." <laughs> That's good, that's good, that's good, that's right. You never got me down, Norm. You never got me down, man. Danny Aiello on Raging Bull. Bobby was over the house with Bang the Drum slowly at the, uh, my, when I lived in the project, yeah. and someone gave me a Paramount. They gave me a script and a book. Pete Savage was the man's name. He was the co-writer of uh, Raging Bull. And they grabbed me because they knew I had just done Bang the Drum Slow. They didn't know me from Adam. I get called up to Paramount. I'm saying, holy shit, they're saying they're doing a boxing film. I think I'm going to be in it. I think they're asking me to do something. Am I going to play the fucking Raging Bull? You know, I was all excited. So naturally, they were using me. I had no idea that I was being used. So I brought the book to my house because I knew Bobby was at the house. I said, Bobby, I don't know how to do this. I really don't know how to do this. I, I, people asked me to present this to you because they knew we were close. I'll apologize beforehand for doing this. I don't know if you're going to be upset or anything, but I didn't know what to do, but I didn't want you to lose out. And I said to him, I said, the reason I'm giving you this book, if Rocky, Marcia, if, if Rocky Graziano's movie was being done, Somebody up there likes me. Uh-huh. If it was being done today, they would ask you to do it, Robert. You would be perfect and you would kill. This is tantamount to what that book was. Right. He said, box? I don't box. I said, well, 
it's more of a character study than it is a boxing. It's a boxing film, yes, but it's a character study. He took the book, all right, and he takes it to Italy with him because he's going to Italy to the turn of the century Italians he wants to talk to because he's about to do Godfather too. Uh-huh. So he goes over there. Now, keep in mind, Paramount were calling me every day, every day, inviting me, buying me lunch and everything. Suddenly, Bobby's in Italy. I can't get into that fucking office if I had a key. They didn't answer the phone. I'm talking about Paramount, so I knew something went down. And what went down was Bobby accepted it. He was working with uh, uh, De Laurentiis at the Uh time. Now, Bobby comes back. They don't do it with De Laurentiis. A couple of years go by, and they do it with Marty Scorsese and Winkler. Right, Erwin Winkler and... Uh, yeah, and the other kid. <clears throat> and they, they decide to do it. All right, this is the I Am Rapport podcast. Um, calling up the Bronx Bull, the Raging Bull. Ladies and gentlemen, Jake LaMotta. All right, it's ringing. Hi, you there? Denise, how you doing? It's Michael Rappaport. Hi, Michael. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. How you doing? I'm okay. I'm in the lobby. I'm going to go on up and just hold on. Stay on the phone with me, and we'll go get him right now, okay? Okay, yeah. Oh, great. Oh, hey, Jack. Michael Rappaport, the actor. On the phone, he's been trying to get to you for the last week or so. And um, he's going to ask you just a few questions about Raging Bull because it's the anniversary. Is it which anniversary? It's the, it's the, 30, the 35th anniversary of the movie. Yeah, the 30th, 35th anniversary of Raging Bull, Jake. So he's going to do an interview with you. Can you hear Michael speak to him now? Jake, how you doing, champ? Hello, Michael. How you feeling, champ? Well, my fingers. He said, how are you doing, not how are you feeling? Oh, I thought he said, how do you feel? I told him my fingers. Ha, ha, ha. Listen, I just wanted to tell you, first of all, I'm a humongous fan of your career when you were fighting. Uh, I first heard about you when my father, he, he actually was at the Garden when you fought uh, Robinson in Madison Square Garden. Yeah, that's a long time ago. It's a really long time ago. Well, you, you've had you've had a you've had a a, a a really long, great, interesting, crazy life, haven't you? Yeah, I guess so. So, so I'm doing this this sort of review celebration of the movie Raging Bull. Did you like the movie? I love the movie. Um, the reason why I love the movie. The narrow was great. The narrow was greater than that movie. Yeah, he was fantastic. He did pretty good. Yeah, he's he's the best, don't you think? I think he's the best actor of all time. Yeah, I, I I agree. Jake, do you follow boxing at all anymore? I don't really follow boxing. I see it once in a while on TV. I just want to let you know I appreciate you taking the time, and uh, I'm I'm glad you're doing good. I, I can't believe you're 94, and I hope you live for you hope you live another 15. 93, I'm gonna be 90, 93. 93. Don't make me don't make me a year old. All right, all right, I won't make you a year older. Sorry, sorry, I don't want no problems with you, Jake. 
And, and and I wish you a good holiday, all right, Jake? I wish you a good, a Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. God bless you. Have a good Christmas. Thank <laughs> you. You too, Jake.